We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the lands on which we record from today, the peoples of the Kulin Nation. I also pay my respects to the elders past and present. I extend that respect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Meet the Source, a new podcast from CAPI where hosts Emma Evans and Thurman Wise get to the source of our daily rituals, speaking with entrepreneurs that are changing the face of our day to day. From making our bed to a glass of wine and everything in between, we give you a peek into the leaders making our daily rituals serve us better, support our communities and bring positive change to our surroundings. Hello, everyone. It's me, Thurman Wise, and the amazing Emma Evans. Thank you for that introduction. Always. We are very excited to tell you that we here are starting with season two of our podcast of The Source. It's an epic lineup. A very epic lineup. We've learned a lot of lessons from season one. We've got new recording equipment. We've got new headphones. New microphones. Mm -hmm. And a new take on ritual. We're still going to connect to the rituals because we're we're going somewhere here with this. You're going to have to be patient with us. But we've been really thinking about what it is that you do to set yourself up for a better tomorrow. So whether that is a ritual or a habit or a practice, what are the choices that these leaders and entrepreneurs and creators are making to ensure that they're setting themselves up for a better tomorrow? So I know that we're going to have a very diverse range of answers, given that we've got those that are in photography, those that are in food and beverage, some that are not based in Australia. We're going to have a global perspective. So Thurman, what is one thing that you do that sets you up for a better tomorrow? I was going to say yoga, Mm -hmm. but but I feel like I talk too much about yoga Mm -hmm. in season one. Mm -hmm. So the, the new one that I've been doing is I've been having a bit of, I have like a daily mantra that I say mm-hmm. every day and I just use it as a reminder. And the, the two big parts of it are to offer gratitude to the space that I am now mm-hmm. and then to also send out love kind of to the universe. And it's just a, I don't know, it's almost this for me, it's this way of starting my day or making sure that my energy or how I connect with people is as positive and loving as possible. And I really do feel that like if you start with yourself and put that out, tomorrow will be better. Very true. What about you? That was a really deep response and my response is going to be simple, but I've realized that because I've been traveling a bit for work recently just to Sydney and I, I can't have my sleep tea. And so I always have a sleep tea. How come you can't have your sleep tea? Because I don't bring it with me, but now I know that I need to bring it with me. But I have this brand Love Tea and I love it. And it's like clockwork that I have that. And I just feel like whether it's psychological and I've made this up, it's calming, you know, it ensures that you can digest your food. And I felt lost without it. So I have a sleep tea to set me up for. A better tomorrow. Well, with that being said, now that you know what we're doing for a better tomorrow at Cappy. Gratitude and sleep tea. What more do you need? What more do you need? We will kick off 
episode one with the amazing James Whiting. You might know him as a photographer, an overall creative, and co-director of the incredible magazine Good Sport. James, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Very excited. It's a very, not such a sporty day today no, no. in Melbourne. They come and go. Yeah. Wanted to, for our guests out there that might not know a bit about Good Sport or about some of the creative endeavors that you are involved in, would you mind giving them a little brief intro into the world of James? <laughs> for sure. So I guess Good Sport is a, I kind of tend to describe it as a kind of a sport culture magazine. The kind of hook line is out of left field. So we take much more of a kind of experimental, abstract, research-based, more playful approach on sport. So alongside Ben Clement and, you know, an all-star team of collaborators from all over the world, we kind of put together online stories and print stories and also do projects, kind of more studio-led um, projects. And then as an independent creative, I am a freelance photographer and do a bit, a bit of writing and kind of, I don't know, just have a good time making fun stuff. I have to say the tagline out of left field. I was talking to a friend. I was like, oh, interviewing James tomorrow from Good Sport Magazine. And I was like, they have the tagline that makes you jealous. You know, like when you kind of get jealous of someone that just creatively killed it. Yeah. Out of left field is just so perfect. I wish I could take credit for that one. But uh, that, that was out there before I jumped on board. But I do, yeah, I do enjoy being able to throw it around as, as my own now. It's really amazing. And I think like, I guess for us, you know, our podcast is really all about ritual. And I think sport is such a great way to start because there's so much ritual involved in sporting, you know? Absolutely. It's a funny one because like, I think the way that Ben and I kind of think a lot about the magazine practice and like our general approach to sport is that like, uh, the, if, if nothing else, the magazine is kind of uh, an effort to make people realize that sport isn't just a thing that you go to and then come home from it kind of bleeds over and yeah on the on the ritual kind of side of things there are so many things that are so nuanced and so special with so many people regardless of what you do and how how you move yeah we just have a really good time kind of pulling that thread and seeing where it, it takes us whether it's into someone's warm-up or a history behind a sport or just interaction with yourself or teammates and did you play sport as a kid I did, yeah. I was like never like the best at anything, really. Yeah, like often the goalie playing soccer and the last one to be picked on the team. But like I just did so many different sports that were just really interesting and like none very similar, like from basketball to taekwondo to skateboarding for a long time. So that was kind of, yeah, it was a very, very all over the shop kind of intro to sport. But I was never at the same time, I was never like a sport, like a capital S like sport person. I guess it was just interesting to go and like get involved and do stuff. If you could have your time over, would you do a certain sport? I always think about that. As in like like dedicate myself to something. Or yeah, particular. I feel like, mom, why did you not move? Like I often think yeah, right. that I wish I was put in ballroom dancing, but like, oh. you know, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, I could get around some ballroom dancing. I don't know. There's things like, there's definitely things I wish I could do. I would love to be a good swimmer. Mm -hmm. I love being in the water. I love being near water, but I'm just, I, I just never, ever really got the knack of it. We got to sign you up for some swim lessons. It's like when you do butterfly and you're like, yeah, no, it's just not I can, happening. I can swim. I can <laughs> swim. I'm not a, I'm not a liability around the water, but like, 
I know, I think there was just something, I remember being overseas a while ago and walking past this pool, or running past this pool, sorry, in the, early in the morning, it was just something about, like, the environment, the atmosphere, it was, like, cold morning, like, steam coming off the pool, people in there, like, training, and I was like, I wish I had, like, ended up there. It just seemed like <laughs> such a great environment. So maybe that's, yeah, maybe that, that can be my answer. I used to live in Brooklyn, and there was a community pool, mm. and I, I hated, I hate running. It's, like, too much of a... It's too hard for me. So I'm like, mm. I'm going to take up, I'm going to take up swimming and I can't do that little, the twisty thing at the end. Oh, no. ten? Oh. Yeah. I, I've always whatever. struggled with that. It's There's a bit no scary. Oh. <laughs> do you like anticipate it and then just be like, no, I'll just touch it. <laughs> yeah. Just the, t- the touch and push. That's, that's the call there. But I'll never forget. I went and I was like, oh, I'm going to go early in the morning because as you described, it's beautiful water's pristine steam coming off mm. but that's when the serious swimmers swim oh yeah and if you're in a lane with one of those guys they don't care they're swimming right over you yeah after that first session i would only go around 12 or 2 because that's when the the elderly people would swim so i was like <laughs> i was like an olympic gold medalist compared to them you know it was like <laughs> and how about you emma well i i was a dancer and i was pretty happy with that it didn't feel like sport, but I think looking back, it was mm. actually quite athletic in, oh, to absolutely. do it for hours and hours. Like, I don't think I could do it for hours and hours these days. It's so athletic. I was reading a story this morning about a boxer who trains like ballet in like his kind of off season just for this yeah, endurance right. and the conditioning of it. It's unreal. Like when I stopped, because I'd done it for like 13 years, when I stopped about six to 12 months later, I was like, oh. I need to join a gym because I haven't had to worry about any of this because I've just naturally been moving and now I'm mm. like, oh, I'm sitting at a desk and it's very stagnant. So, What do you think makes something a sport? Because like, for example, dance, it's athletic, it's competitive, mm. but maybe you wouldn't traditionally call it yeah. a sport? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because like we almost try to not ask, answer that question because like it becomes a bit too much of a ceiling on what we can engage yeah. with i mean there are sport like you know sporty components like scores and teams and stuff but i mean not to kind of avoid the question but we do like concern ourselves a lot with dance and have interviewed and worked with like performance artists and some of that that borrow from sports so if anything we're trying to engage with more you know like taking conventionally sport things and then pulling them out of that kind of context and seeing like how they exist and can they exist on their own and yeah, I don't know what is like how you would define a sport. I don't know if the team-based kind of criteria would be one of the things because I you know there's a lot of solo sports and sports you compete against yourself. We'll have to ask if any listeners want to yeah. define sport for us. We will pass it on to Good Sport. <laughs> maybe we can maybe we get like a little a little print in the editor's. Yeah, note. we get a credit. Yeah, <laughs> we'll finally know. Yeah, what is sport? And so much of what you do is quite diverse. So on the topic of rituals, which we love, mm. is there rituals that you have to kind of prepare for the day or prepare, prepare for different elements of your different roles and hats you wear? It's an interesting, interesting one, actually. I was, I was trying to think about, I had this question in mind, listening to a few, like, even just listening to some older episodes and kind of being like, oh, what do I actually do? Like, what do I actually concern my time with one that is maybe the most unwavering ritual or you know practice is just like a morning walk and just like always listening to us like make a coffee or buy one somewhere and just like 
I don't know. I think there's something about like getting my body moving somewhat gently. If I'm not training, like as I said, like, I run quite a lot. If I'm not training that morning or if I'm not, you know, doing a bit more, something a bit more with more exertion, I'll be walking and I'll just, it's always just new music, whatever I find, always something new. So like Spotify's release like Radar has some gems and I'll just try and delve that way. Like just trying not to listen, to listen to anything too old because I listen to music has always been like very insightful and just in terms of, you know, lyric narratives and ideas that, you know, I wouldn't find out elsewhere. And sometimes they do come in that like, you know, three to five minute window and kind of just kind of, I feel like sometimes that can kind of set your day up for just like with something new in mind or a new perspective or a new idea. And on those walks, it's like kind of sometimes I'll meditate, sometimes I won't depending on how I'm feeling. I kind of know any meditation devotees kind of, you know, the practice is like, you know, it's best to do it on days where you don't feel like you need to do it. I've had that kind of practice before, but I think even for the last little while, it's just much more about going with feel and enjoying new ideas in song form or sometimes also a podcast. But yeah, I think that's probably the most persistent ritual I've had. Unless you can't like general kind of, I mean, I, yeah, as I said, I run quite a lot and running has definitely been something that's very personal to me. It's personal to me. So that's a ritual in a way, but it's never ritualistic in the sense that I do it the same way or at the same time. But I, I suppose I do it for the same purpose all the time, unless it's like a social run and I'm with mates, which is all the time. But if it's myself, it's much more of a, I don't know, dedicated alone time, which I really thrive off of. So that's possibly a ritual that comes in a different form in a bit more of a sporadic kind of pattern, maybe. I kind of just like that you said, if we define it as a ritual, because we are the ritual police and we define rituals based on this yeah, podcast. I, but so, yeah, that's, you define sport <laughs> and ritual. This is, yeah, <laughs> this is 2 zero on me now. This is going, yeah. I almost want to start a sport, not sport list, and a ritual, not ritual list. And I'm going to start scoring things like baseball, mm. sport, morning walk, ritual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> checks out even now the idea of like ritual and habit i was thinking about this morning and i was like maybe yeah. ritual is something that's more conscious and a habit is something a bit more unconscious but anyway there's a saying about that like a habit becomes a ritual when i should know this because i just finished the book atomic habits over the weekend and they talk about it a bit in there i kind of like to leave it a bit loose and mm. i guess i more think about it if it's really meaningful to you Mm -hmm. I like that. You know, for Vic, it was about making her matcha and just then that gave her a pause when I think she was episode one of season mm. one. And some would say, well, making a matcha is just like very standard, but it meant something to her so and it invokes something for her. So, Well, maybe in that sense, like, then I would definitely have to say, like, I mean, it might not be a surprise, but I think running is a bit more meaningful to me than my morning coffee and a walk in like, I mean, in some ways, but overall, I think it's much more of a, I get, I benefit more from that experience. And I am more devoted to that experience. And that's, so yeah, something that's very, has been very personal and remains to be very personal. It's weird. Cause like, I feel like running, anyone who knows me knows I can talk the absolute ear off about running and why I love and hate and feel so many things about it it is the kind of thing where it becomes this kind of swiss army knife i think with a healthy relationship with that kind of like activity where you can use it for so many different things it can be alone time it can be social time it can be decompression it can be 
brainstorming. It can be like I've written like essentially, you know, like song lyrics and drafts to good sport articles kind of in my head, like when I was writing, just trying to like, it becomes a very like, very much like a combination space where I was talking to a friend of mine overseas a while ago and he was saying how, you know, when you're running and kind of physically exerting yourself, like I'm not sure if it's your head or your body doesn't have really much time for all the extraneous stuff like ego and, you know, sarcasm and anything else you might be kind of facing as a hurdle. So when you kind of, you are moving and kind of pushing a little bit, there's things kind of fall to the wayside and you kind of can find a bit more clarity on like, oh, actually this is my objective here and this is how this shoot should go. And actually like, I think this is going to happen. So I'm going to avoid that by doing this. And so it can become a very much like a foundational space in that sense. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to say, like you said, like, cause I guess like, I mean, I don't really run. I should probably start running. Ah. Maybe I'll go on a social run with you guys one of these days, but like I do a lot of yoga and I think Emma could probably relate to this too. It's like, through the practice of yoga, you're using your body to calm, like, as you said, to calm things down. But then you get so much clarity. And I always find, like, the final pose of yoga is shavasana. And you're supposed to lay there and, like, not think of anything. But oftentimes I'm like, that's the idea. And yeah. then I'm like, I need, no, I need to calm down. But you're just like, yeah, it's something about that physical exertion that just really mm. opens up your mind. Mm. Yeah, again, it's just like that's just, I mean, I think where, I think... I don't even been too involved in it. I'm mean, too mentally kind of involved in running sometimes where you can get kind of fixated on a certain, you know, goal or outcome or hitting certain times on your workouts or that kind of stuff. But if you can step back a bit, it does open up those kind of possibilities for using it for much more than just, you know, catharsis or just escape or, I don't know. Sorry, again, I could talk about running for, that's a whole different series. <laughs> I do have one question for you about Please. running. Mm. How did you get into it. Like you said that, you know, as a kid, you really weren't a sports with the capital S, Yeah. but now you have this really deep connection to, to running. Again, it does run pretty deep. Like it's funny. Cause like I was like the kid in high school that was like quite overweight, had the, like the note from his mom saying that, you know, James has asthma. He can't like do this. <laughs> do this. I was like on the sidelines and not worrying about a thing. <laughs> I didn't feel great about it, but like, that was just kind of the, the approach for that time. I was just really overweight and really sad and I was like there's got like there's a point where you kind of like want to make change but like there's just a point where you can only delay that and push it off for so much to where it becomes so frustrating in like in your bones where you're like nah this doesn't cut it I know like like not even like I can know I can be better but like I know that I can have more quality of life and yeah, it wasn't really a healthy start with running, to be honest. It was like, it was like the thing I hated the most. So I was like, I'm going to throw myself at that and just, I don't know, you could call the time the next two years or three years or maybe five years quite destructive. But there was an element of like greater good, I guess would be the way to call it. Like, no, I know I'm doing this. And I know it's awful and whatnot, but I know that I'm working towards something. And then, yeah, so I kind of ran just with my head down just for a long time, like alone at night, like trying to avoid any contact with human life whatsoever. And then, you know, I got to a place close to where I wanted to be, like in terms of losing a lot of weight and being a bit more confident in myself because of, you know, how I saw myself, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I started running with people and like meeting people through 
a Nike run club who was in, which is in Melbourne. Funnily enough, which is where I met Ben later on. We both ended up shooting and photographing the, the run club. And I was like, he knows this now, but he didn't for a while where I was, you know, photographing the run club. And like, I would see him photographing all the other side of the park or whatever. I'm like, oh my God, that's Ben Clement. Like, oh my God, his work's so good. And I was like nerding out all the time, never said a word to him. But yeah, like working at that, oh, running at that run club and also working at East Meet people who also run and you're kind of like, oh, now I don't have to go run by myself and just be in my own head. I can go and run with someone and talking about like the basketball playoffs or, you know, the latest season of Scrubs or whatever like I was doing at the time. <laughs> and then that whole world kind of opens up where you do have community and support and the idea of that exercise becomes much more externalized and it's less of a, you know, this kind of grindstone you're pushing yourself against. It's so amazing how something so personal can also be so communal Mm. and really like just such a beautiful practice that's not only good for yourself, but good for those around, you know. I think it becomes like that communal sense does have the greatest depth when everyone brings their their most personal experience to that space. I mean, Ben is also the founder of AMPM who I have been running with and, you know, sharing many races and post-race beers with for the past, you know, I'm not sure, seven, eight years maybe. And it just has become a space and it has like formed a space where people just want to show up for each other. And it's kind of formed the slogan for that kind of crew, which is just like to show up. Like, you know, you know, at the core of it, it's been like, you know, you're not here for the fancy shoes or the Instagram content. It's kind of like just rock up and like find people who are like-minded and, care and make cool stuff and let's talk about it and if you don't run that fast that's cool too i'll be there just kind of in the back (laughs) the back's the best part a lot of love for the back and i guess like in terms of bringing it back a little bit Mm. from running to to what you guys do at good sport you said something about redefining sport i guess a bit and being you know it's not just and i guess for me coming from america sport is like so extra it's like as much as I love Nike, it's like Nike everything and everyone's mm-hmm. getting paid so much money. And it's just, it's, it's almost overwhelming to mm-hmm. a place of, I kind of gave up on sport for a while because it was just too much. Mm. Definitely. And for you, you know, I guess with that in mind and kind of a lot of how people see sport, you know, what is it that inspires you guys to tell the different story or, or to really kind of challenge people's perception of sport? There's a couple of things. I think I have my, like, I definitely have my own personal motivations where it's like, just being that younger kid who was kind of on the sidelines and did have much more of a personal relationship with sport or at least the sport I was doing and how I felt about it and how I felt it impacted me. Like I wasn't seeing a lot of that in the kind of, you know, general media and general storytelling, at least at that kind of time. Like paradigms have shifted over the last maybe decade, but at least back then it was, you know, the sporting paradigm and what you'd see in advertising and storytelling and the cover of magazines, which is much more about like, you know, just the victorious kind of hero, like just the about champions and winning and medals and like accomplishments, but there was no real room or no real time given to, you know, personal nuance and that more developmental and outlet-based narrative of sport and what that, you know, what it can mean to someone, even if they aren't good. So there's that kind of drive for me where I just, you know, feeling generally a bit alienated from what I was seeing and obviously inspired by these stories at the time, but just there's nothing more than that. There's no investment 
well, there's no place I could put, like, you know, nowhere I could develop any investment into that kind of narrative. And then also, like, as good sport, where we try and find the room to challenge ideas is, is just, like, sport is being so uninteresting. Ben and I just found sport so literal. There's no room for things to be playful or hypothetical or, like, looking at a kind of sculpture art or performance art kind of coming through with my like a fine art background and Ben's come through a similar background too like you'd see performance art or some sculptures and like you know critics or not critics but I think it's a bit of a outdated kind of approach to look at these artists and these works and be like oh well you know that's like why would that happen that wouldn't really happen but you can we can kind of approach sport in the same way where it doesn't have to be realistic we don't just have to take the story and deliver it as it's presented itself to us. We can ask questions and we can make a perfume about sport and we can play with that, like, you know, those traditional motifs much more deeply and with just some humour and some liveliness and that can have value and it doesn't have to, you know, empty itself of value just because it's not real. And I think, like, it's an interesting thing too. Like, I think one of the most problematic things I've seen around sport recently was maybe a couple of years ago when you had a lot of people being political within sport, mm. you know, especially in the U.S. with protest and trying to get a message out. And so many people were like, no, just be an athlete. Like, you don't have space to, mm. you play basketball, stick to basketball. And it was just like, I mean, I guess you could kind of say that to any profession. Mm. You know, people like, just be a movie star. You can't have another dimension to your personality mm. or persona, yeah. which is like so crazy. And that, yeah, that to me was like, watching that all unfold in so many different instances, it just kind of really spoke volumes to how the capacity for sport to be this institution for expression and communication and all these different things where I think it has been a bit neglected in its value in that sense. Even though it's unassuming, it's very real in how so much can be developed there and so much can be communicated from a sporting field. Or, and I think it's changed you know, over a long time where maybe more specifically with those instances in America where I think viewing that kind of system from afar, there was still a sense where athletes were kind of like, you know, kind of a bit more viewed as a bit like closer to working class where they weren't real professionals. Their opinions in, in politics and whatever weren't so viable because they were supposed to be, you know, entertainment really. But now you see people being athletes, activists, entrepreneurs and it's maybe snuck up a bit on people who traditionally are above sporting, you know, professionals in the economic hierarchy or social hierarchy. But I think things are really flipping. I think some really amazing change is happening because of that. And do you have a most like memorable or a standout piece or encounter from your time putting together? One most recently for the last issue we worked with a, an olfaction lab in Los Angeles who olfaction is like the development of, of scents and smells. So Ben and I were just jokingly for a while, you know, like what is like what, you know, we had to define sport as a scent, let alone define sport itself. <laughs> we're like, how would we do that? Like what would, what could we do? Like what, and it's, it's good sport has pivoted much more to being like, I think in the earlier days before I kind of came on board, which is where I think I started 
coming into the, the studio in like 2017, maybe? Yeah, 2017. I think before that, there were these kind of left of field stories where there were people you've never heard of and sports you've never heard of and just beautiful takes on, you know, stories that otherwise would just be, you know, have your very conventional journalist kind of photo. It has shifted much towards Ben and I kind of asking questions of like, oh, what if this? And like, what would happen if we connected these people? And much more experimental in that sense. So yeah, working with this lab in LA, we um, pitched a few different kind of sporting scenarios to Saskia, who then responded to us with two different individual scents. And then one that was kind of a combination of those two. So one was kind of based off a boxing gym with like you know, kind of notes of like leather and general kind of bodily must and deep heat like eucalyptus <laughs> but it's been really interesting because we had them at the book fair in melbourne earlier this year and to hear people come past and discuss the sense and why we had, a, we had a, um, a very funny security guard come up to us and she was probably one of the first people we'd spoke to all weekend because it was like early thursday night like the kind of staff night or industry night whatever it is the opening and she was smelling the sense she just, she just didn't understand what we were doing, she was smelling them. She was like, you guys will never you know, find a partner smelling like this. This is awful. Like, and they smell pretty good. But low-key, I kind of wanted them to smell really bad. I thought that would be really funny if they smelled awful. But she was like, yes, we explained it probably six or eight times. And she's like, well, oh, she's like, oh, now I get it. Like, so you put it on before you do sport and then it gets better when you're sweating. I'm like, not really. Like... <laughs> Maybe. Um, so that has been a pretty memorable one. It's good. It's, it's definitely followed us around a few places. I like the idea of two boxers putting a little bit of good sport on <laughs> in the middle in the middle of the match. Guys, like, hey man, I just want to let you know, I vibe, I vibe your scent. Yeah, yeah. We did for our, our launch week here at the studio in the courtyard. We set up a bit of like a. I don't think anyone really understood it or engaged with it that much but it was and again it's just like a lot of this is just me and ben entertaining ourselves we set up a bit of a, a scent lab in the in the garden and um just bought all the f- scent like smells we could find and it was it was a bit of an exercise in like you know comparing notes because there are if you read the piece in the magazine saskia does like does a great essay for us based on like what generally a sport scent is like like what kind of the co- most common smelling notes are and you know, trying to find the scent of sport in that sense and by the most kind of, yeah, by the most occurring notes. So we set up a little like few benches in the courtyard and had like, you know, Shane Warne's cologne and like the Michael Jordan eau de parfum and all this kind of stuff. And it's like I encourage people to kind of just smell different things and like actually think about what they were smelling and especially when it came to our scent, try and like think about what they are smelling and whether they might have smelled that before and just like, you know, tying into the the fact that, Scent is kind of one of the most. Um, it provokes the most memory of all the, of all the senses. So looking into that kind of narrative of storytelling and how that tied back to the theme of issue five, which was communication, and we kind of just took that um, that title and play with it in as many ways as we could. And one of them happened to be a little spray bottle. That's so cool. Mm. I feel like you guys have to. The next one has to be success. What does success smell like? Oh, wow. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> Jeez, I'm into that. That's cool. Any out of left field projects that you guys are working on at the moment, or, um, or that you can't, that you could share? Yeah, yeah, I, I, can, I can still share a couple of details. So we, yeah, we have taken a bit of a break from anything print focused to try and step up our studio practice a little bit and be a bit more engaged there. We have a little like um, duo of, of merch 
on the way. This is with an artist based in London, Jeanette Duncan, who is lovely, incredible illustrator and painter and watercolour artist. So that's kind of been a little thing in the background, but we're just starting up some conversations on some more kind of data-driven research projects, kind of centering around people doing sports for the first time, but taking a bit more of a, I'm not sure what the scientific term would be, but more of maybe of a neurological body chemistry kind of background on that project and seeing how people interact with new experiences and how that's reflected in data and but again being a bit more playful with it as we would i mean there's a catalog of silly ideas that ben and i have up our sleeves but unfortunately no one's bit on those yet i think they're maybe a bit too left field for some people but you know it's how it goes if you don't mind, I'm inviting myself to the studio. I just want to come have coffee and listen to all your guys' ideas. <laughs> anytime. Absolutely anytime. I'm not a creative, so I'm always fascinated by creatives. But you know uh, what? Sorry. Time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Yeah, I think we're thinking the same thing here. Yeah. Emma is so creative. I'll get text messages sometimes on Sunday. It's like, hey, Thurman, what if you do this version 2.5? And I'm like, Emma, great idea. She's like, oh, I was just doing like a cycle and it came to me. <laughs> So you are creative. Okay. Thank you. You heard it here. <laughs> Who do you look to for inspiration or is there anybody or any sources that you go to? So many. Where do I start? Uh, I mean, some of my all-time favorite people have like in terms of, I mean, obviously in terms of creativity, but in terms of just general just presence, uh, people like Mike Mills, who's the director, film director and a, a graphic artist, and also Miranda July. They happen to be partners, which is a, probably the most terrifyingly talented couple on the planet. <laughs> those two, this is the way they carry themselves and the way they kind of test ideas and articulate those ideas in ways that you know are so like thoughtful and tender and they've always been kind of led the way in a lot of things. There's a lot of photographers that kind of lead kind of my, you know, are beacons for my own photo work, people like Daniel Shea and Taryn Simon. So people who like we've we've luckily been able to engage with in good sport our friend joe staples who is uh, he used to be the executive creative director at white and kennedy but i've been lucky enough to meet joe and photograph joe and have many talks with him and you know even end up on his jujitsu mats in his place in la on my birthday and have him show me what it feels like to be choked out in a jujitsu hold um <laughs> While I was interviewing him, but it's okay because he fed me croissants and <laughs> birthday coffee afterwards. So that was, you know, we called it even. He's a great thinker. He's always someone who I can listen to. Like he's got a few podcast episodes from different outlets online that I would go back to. He had a really great kind of idea he spoke about a while ago. Is he was talking about, I think he was talking about finishing university and doing this project where it had nothing to do with what he was actually doing, but he just kind of challenged himself to take a photo of fruit and then cut all that fruit up and then try and reassemble it and recreate the first image with fruit that's been reassembled. And that to me is like, that's how we want to do good sport. Like that is such a perfect, it's like succinct little ex experiment, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. such a cool activity. And like, again, like, like I was saying before, you know, like taking that perspective into sport, the sporting world, like it doesn't have to be literal. It doesn't have to be real. It doesn't be like, to us, it doesn't have to be like, oh, like, would someone wear this perfume or would it, you know, how would they incorporate this on the field? It's much more about like, no, what does that like evoke and what 
is found in the process and what does that process reveal about sport and that to us has been yeah, much more of the, the approach. And Joe was also the person, who I think I mentioned before, about the idea of like, you know, when you're exerting yourself, you kind of strip away those like ego and, you know, grief and all those kind of things that kind of fall a bit to the way. So he was the person that first mentioned that in one of our many just long-winded chats about nonsense. But yeah, he's definitely inspired us quite a bit. Isn't it also just too amazing? I think like it's one of those funny things and kind of when we started this, podcast it was about really to be able to connect people to the leaders in industry like of industry and be able to tell personal stories and it's funny when you kind of start out and on an, an endeavor like you guys have at good sport and then all of a sudden you're talking to people that you admire and you're like yeah well what in the heck am i doing here so many pinch myself moments because of you know just the magazine email working it's one day is like yeah i do i was doing a lot of just solo trips across to the States in 2017, just, I don't know, based on feel like working at a lot of the art book fairs and had just started helping Ben out with um, with Good Sport then and just being able to meet people. And like I think the first, or one of the trips I did that year, I was in LA a lot and had met Joe and photographed him for a story that was going to be in issue three. And then I had met and someone else over there, this guy, Niels Arend, who started the Speed Project, which is a... It's like a long distance kind of ultra relay between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. So as a team, you run, it's like 550 kilometers. You run just like nonstop until you get to Vegas. And I was interviewing him about him about that. He was like, you know, a day off doing the ultra marathon at Burning Man. And I was talking to him about this, you know, long distance ultra relay, just thinking he was a maniac. And then this is in September. And then six months later, myself and seven friends and two other friends who are crew members were at the start line of the speed project back in LA in March <laughs> about to do it. And like Niels is, you know, setting the gun off everyone at Santa Monica at 4am. Again, like none of that would have happened if I hadn't had that kind of minute connection to Niels through a friend of a friend who gave me his email that I contacted through my good sport, you know, little avenue. And it's like, and that's, yeah, one of the many avenues it's like, you know, absolutely formed my my current being at least yeah i mean not to simplify things at all but it's like it's so crazy to hear that you started running because you were 18 and you had this problem that you, or this challenge mm. that was in front of you that you wanted to work on mm -hmm. fast forward to today and you're running an ultra marathon from los angeles to las vegas like yeah that's like it's, that's, it's, yeah. It's, it's insane like i mean not to say obviously there was probably lots of parts along the way mm -hmm. that got you to where you are but like every was it, every journey begins with the first step kind of thing you know totally and like i that's the thing that's the funny thing about especially my experience with running like i intended to run for as short a time as possible like i'm like all right this is like uh, like a year a year i'll do it and i'll be fine and i did take a break but like i think rise i took a break from running when i was maybe halfway through uni so 2015 ballpark i think i just formed enough of a kind of connection to it so when i stopped i was like oh you know what like i don't miss it but i do and like there's i mean it's again like the swiss army knife kind of capacity where you know i miss parts of it but what if i started running again and was you know a bit more conscious of why i was doing it and there's been a massive process of me being like all right there's like sometimes you feel the obliga obligation to work out or the obligation to run and Sometimes those aren't very healthy obligations. 
So being a bit more aware of why you're doing that has been a massive part. And I think that's the reason why I have like, you know, stayed with running for so long and, you know, as in the AMPM terms, like, you know, kept showing up where it just, you can prolong it. You can find, you can not obscure its value by, you know, other things that might tarnish it quite a lot. But yeah, I do, that's, your, your point is absolutely dead on. I pinch myself constantly being like, how am I still, like, why am I still doing this? This is nuts. <laughs> I used to loathe this. And then it's, yeah, it's led me to all these, like, I've got a tattoo on my leg that says, like, it's a bit of an in-joke, but it just says run for your life. And that was kind of such a, not a cheesy, like, I mean, it's pretty cheesy, but like, it was just a nod to like, yeah, like it can give you life. And it kind of gave me a, 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 a second chance that's quite dire, but you know, a big refresh and a big, I just, and again, like when I'm running now, like the best times is when you kind of are pushing a bit and you do kind of feel that like, you know, just kind of like you're coming into your body again, like everything's connecting, everything's working. Like, like, I don't know, it's a, a bit of a physical agency kind of dynamic and that's definitely the lifeblood to me. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's also, it's an interesting, like, we take our bodies for granted so often, mm. you know, like we even just feeling healthy, like, especially now with things, you know, people getting sick and all these little bits. And sometimes we forget to appreciate how wonderful these like bodies are. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. You can do pretty wacky things if you put your mind to it. Yeah. You can ballroom dance of all things. <laughs> it's never too, it's never too never late. Never too late. No. Oh. Yeah. I think God. I'm going to take running lessons. James, we'll get you into some swim the yeah. train swim lessons and Emma, you're on ballroom dancing. I mean, we're about to do a dance class at the office in September. I don't know if you know that what? yet, Thurman. Oh. Yeah, we have no. like Kylie Minogue's ex choreographer teaching us. Are you being serious? Wow. I'm being dead serious. September Are 8th. Are there plus ones available? Yep. Yeah, there is. You could come if you want. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we're doing like that. And then the week later, we're doing a sound bath. So it's going to be all vibes in September at the office. So wow. that will be my first foray back into dancing since the pressure is on though everyone knows that you've danced for a while so you gotta you gotta bring the a game i think i'm just too stiff these days but like i do have the memory that's the that i think that's a mm. bit of the part that you need like i have the memory to know but i was also a tap dancer so that's very like different as well oh time will tell yeah let's see i won't be like at the front um we'll put you at the front then and i'll go at the back sure james bring a camera <laughs> yeah yeah everyone has to wear an out. outfit <laughs> amazing some feathers (laughs) well i think i mean with that to look forward to i think kind of to wrap up our our show today i think this whole series of our podcast is all about the things that we do today for a better tomorrow and you know i think especially now like it feels like the world's a bit doom and gloom a little bit here and there i think so but (laughs) you know just kind of wanted to ask you you know like what do you look forward to? Like what, like whether it's long-term future mm. tomorrow morning, maybe it's a trip next week, but like what's, you know, what's out there that's making you feel really good about the future? That's a great question amongst, you know, some pretty grim circumstances here, there, here and there. I think just like the silly fact that we just get to make stuff, like just the next time I get to have discussions and host discussions or start projects. I think that's the kind of, thing that keeps me I mean at least in a professional sense it keeps me going like just the the fact that you get like we can just play and open up ideas and hope that has a has a um 
a lasting impact on our audience or an industry or both or I mean like there's a quite fluid distinction you know industry is kind of your audience and vice versa some of the time but yeah like just being able to make a bit of a I, I, I definitely am the first to acknowledge that we aren't the most like impactful project in terms of you know social politics and that kind of stuff and we do what we can where it's appropriate but even just in a, in a sense of sporting narratives and storytelling just being able to open that floor up a little bit more than it has been and be a bit more experimental and a bit more enjoyable and refreshing. I think that definitely keeps us going for at least the next little while. And yeah, but I was just thinking about that kind of idea the other day, but it coming back to a bit more of a movement practice side of things, you know, like it's really exciting that, you know, nothing is ever really done. There's always more to play with and you know new sensations to feel with when you are working with your own body or talking to people about theirs and you know there is an next race and there is an injury to fix and there's a just I don't know the endlessness of it all is when it's not daunting it's pretty damn exciting so I think that is the other you know thing that keeps it all ticking I have to say I am like so inspired after chatting with you today like as soon as we end this recording, I'm calling Emma to tell her about three new ideas that I've got coming from this Amazing. chat. I'm just glad that he wasn't going to say, okay, so for the launch of this podcast, we're going to do a TikTok where we go for a run. I'm like, no, thank you. <laughs> so there's no TikTok? <laughs> there is a TikTok. We're working, oh. we're working, we're working, we're working on, on TikTok. But that is a great idea. We should do a TikTok together. Oh my, God. It'll, I mean, it'll be my first TikTok, so we're going to make it good. Same as us. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's just like running them, and TikTok is just like running. You just have to show first up. First step. And just yeah. go show for up. it. <laughs> but also be a little funny. You got to be a bit cheeky. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Well, sir, thank you so, so much. Such an amazing chat. I am going to come bug you for a coffee or oh, a cocktail absolutely. to chat. We have a coffee shop downstairs and, uh, you know, perfumes and all these sorts of nonsense in the <laughs> studio so thank you everyone for tuning in to the first episode of our second season with the amazing james whiting of good sport magazine we hope you enjoyed our conversation i know that emma and i did like all times if you if you dig it share it like it comment we appreciate all your feedback so please feel free to share and tune in in two weeks when we will have a very special guest, the CEO of Cole's Grocery, Leanne White. A big one for us, a huge partner and someone that we're really, really keen to learn a bit more about. So until then, ciao and have a beautiful week.